You're listening to Scaling Up Services, where we speak with entrepreneurs, authors, business experts, and thought leaders to give you the knowledge and insights you need to scale your service-based business faster and easier. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeld. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash Thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash Thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Scaling Up Services. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Russell Benaroya, and he is partner at Stride Services. They are a bookkeeping and accounting firm. We're going to learn more about the services they provide, but more importantly, we're going to learn about the history of the company. We're going to talk about core values. We're going to talk about how to create process that is repeatable and scalable. We're also going to talk about acquiring a company. A little different. I know we talk a lot of folks about companies that have started from the ground up. In this case, we're going to talk about a company that gets acquired and how do you grow and scale it and change it uh, to meet the opportunities that you available that you see available in there in the market. So I'm excited for this conversation with that. Russell, welcome to the program. Hey, it's great to be here, Bruce. Thanks so much. Yeah. So why don't we start with a little bit of background? I know that you're a, a longtime EOer, entrepreneur's organization like I am. And that's always an interesting story to hear how people got into EO and that experience. And then I know you were living abroad when this opportunity came up. So I would love to hear about that and love to hear about how you actually went through the process process of deciding to acquire the acquisition process and then what you've been kind of learning as you've gotten in there and figured out how the company works, where you want to take it, where the opportunities are, where the challenges are. So give us the backstory. Let's hear, let's hear about that first. Yeah. Awesome. And feel free to interrupt me as I'm, as I'm uh, running this, running running through this. (laughs) As you know, the journey of entrepreneurship is a journey of self-discovery. And so if you had told me that 16 years after starting my first company that I would be in the bookkeeping business, I would have been like, you're insane. But my journey, my journey started out pretty traditional. I started out in corporate finance and investment banking, and I went to business school and I checked the boxes and my parents were happy and I was doing some professional things. And then in 2005, I realized my itch and scratched it. And that was the beginning of my entrepreneurial journey where a buddy of mine and I from business school started a healthcare service business called REM Medical that operated sleep clinics. And we built that for five years, not having any idea what we were doing. And then we sold that. And I started a healthcare technology business that got funded by some insurance plans and built that for another six years and then sold that business. And really, you mentioned EO at the beginning. The Entrepreneurs Organization was so amazing for me because I was alone and scared and afraid and trying to steward people's money and build teams and yeah, and needed the support. And so I have a lot of gratitude for the entrepreneurs organization. Well, in 2017, when we sold the last company, I went to work for the acquire for a year and it was a year of an opportunity to recalibrate with my family and my wife. Like, what are we actually doing as partners? Not just 
the Russell Benaroya build a business show. And (laughs) um, long story short, we, after a little bit of coaching from a third party, we converged on this topic that gave us a lot of energy, which was, hey, we've been talking for 10 years about living abroad as a family and our kids are going into high school and should we do it? Should we go for it and not let it pass us by? And we did. And we we moved to Costa Rica and we lived in San Jose and it wasn't a sabbatical year. I, I had to work yeah. and our kids went to school. But that moment of popping the bubble of my small world opened up the possibility of possibilities and I was open. And so that first business partner I said I built my first company with called me up and he said, Russell, I've got some really interesting ideas around business process outsourcing and the future of back office bookkeeping and accounting and why it needs a leader. And do you want to get involved? And I said, let's go for it. I love it. I and love we did. It. But we but we didn't but we didn't want to build a service business from scratch because service businesses from scratch are really a long slog. It's such a referral driven business. And so we said yeah. our genius zones, our expertise is not so much in starting something from nothing, but it is taking something that exists and layering on systems and process and principles to really take it to the next level. And so we kissed a lot of frogs and talked to a lot of potential (laughs) companies to acquire and get involved with. And we found this amazing company in San Francisco run by a wonderful woman named Becky Brown, who'd been building a business for 15 years, saw the opportunity to grow virtual back office bookkeeping and accounting, but didn't really have the tools and the expertise to think about it at scale and uh, was looking for partners and we were looking for her. And today we're all equal partners in a business Mm, that we closed in August of 2018. And in a year we've doubled the business and trying to fortify the platform to continue growing. I love it. I love it. Uh, so lots of questions on the business, but I want to actually go back yeah. and I'm just kind of curious. And as you've kind of, you know, gone from company to company or, you know, gone, gone through the entrepreneurial journey of building and then exiting a company, building another one, getting involved in new ones, any interesting takeaways for you in terms of, you know, what was similar, what was different? You know, what did you learn about yourself as an entrepreneur once you've kind of gone through the cycle once and then actually going through it again? What are the what are the things that you felt like you mistakes you didn't make the second time? <laughs> New mistakes you've learned? Any any big takeaways for you as a as sure. a multiple business entrepreneur? I have made so many mistakes, like we all have, but I'm going to separate those between sort of tactical mm-hmm. mistakes and then um, I'll call it self discovery mistakes. I like it. The tactical mistakes are somewhat. Um, somewhat unavoidable. It's it's on the job training. You have a hypothesis. You run an experiment. Some things work. Some things don't. Would I have done things different in certain situations or circumstances? Yes. I don't want to bore everybody with those specifics. That's just learning over time. The, the, the self-discovery piece, which is a journey, really comes down to where do I get approval, security, and control, sort of the three core elements that drive us. And I think my journey, which I'm still on, (laughs) is over time, I started out at a place where approval was driven externally. Like, am I I doing the right thing for other people? I wanted to be in total control and I wanted security, like for my family. Like, oh, is this going to be a home run or isn't it? Am I going to make money or aren't I going to make money? And over time, I think I realized that I'm in more control of that than any external factor. And so when all the crazy and the frenzy exists in building a business day to day, 
I am on a path of staying more centered in accordance with my standards um, rather than looking for external validation. I would say that is the greatest learning for me. Yeah, it's an interesting one. And I think it's um, it's one that I see kind of again and again and kind of in the in the journey of leadership where yeah, you work very hard to kind of use external factors, guideposts, you know, feedback to kind of validate, you know, what you're thinking or what you're doing. And as you move forward, you, you realize the best thing you can do is actually set your own standards and your own guideposts. And, and the, the truer you are to, to those things, actually, the more effective you are, the more powerful you are, and, and actually the more influence you have over folks. Because at the end of the day, you know, people... Live your worth. Yeah. Yeah. Live your worth. Don't prove your worth. That yeah. was the yeah. message that I received loud and clear. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and tell me about the, the decision to live abroad. I mean, you, you mentioned that this was not a vacation, right? You were not so right. on sabbatical. You weren't, you know, checking out and sitting on the beach. But, um, you know, when you have that kind of change in context, you know, not only kind of culture, but kind of situation and all those things. What were, I guess, what were the things that weren't as hard as you thought they might be and things that you thought were going to be easy that was <laughs> that were not as easy as you thought they might be? It was amazing to me that when we made the decision, and it was a black and white decision, we are moving to Costa Rica. The, the, the universe has a magical way of helping you when you're clear on what you are doing. And so once we were really clear, the, the connections, the, the introductions, the, uh, the community kind of galvanized around us and made our entry into Costa Rica so welcoming and warm. Yeah. And my wife and I would look at each other literally probably every week and say, oh, my God, I can't believe how this has worked out. But I think it's because we were so black and white. We're so yeah. clear now, right or wrong or regardless of the outcome, like we were we were clear. And so that made it that made it particularly easy that the drive to do it was a question that my wife and I wanted to answer around what is the life we are trying to design. And historically, my life had pretty much been, oh, it's the Russell Benroy business show and we're along the <laughs> ride. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so the question was, are we going to are we going to be intentional about designing our life or are we just going to have it designed for us? And I was having a real problem, Bruce, being in my bubble in Seattle yeah. and feeling like I had the means and the chutzpah to to put my life on a new trajectory. And I felt like I needed to have a change of scene and, and, and also give my kids that experience. Yeah. 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 It's interesting. I, I run into this a lot, you know, successful entrepreneurs, they're, 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 you know, building incredibly impactful, profitable businesses, but they kind of have this kind of philosophy or, or they're, they're stuck in the situation of sort of deferred gratification or deferred enjoyment where it's like, well, I just, I'm going to put another five years or another 10 years, you know, and then I'll sell this thing and then I'll be able to have fun or then I'll do what I really want to do. And I think just, it's so important to figure out, well, you really need to the design life you want now and live the life you want now and figure out how to integrate those things. Cause if you, you know, if you wait, you know, it's just, you know, you run risk, right? You just, you don't know what your life is going to, mm -hmm. how it's going to play out. Right. And so, you know, delaying that, but also I think it, it just inhibits your success. I mean, I think if you actually figure out how to incorporate the things that drive you, that you're passionate about, that give you energy, it's actually going to make you more successful in the shorter term. And I just, I, you know, I applaud you for actually taking the time to think about designing the life you want, figuring out how to live it, and yet also doing the work that you want to do in terms of building business and engaging professionally. I like the idea of, 
you know, we need to constantly be taking kind of mini sabbaticals and getting, you know, getting our energy back and then using that to fuel our process rather than feeling like we need to drive ourselves into the ground for 10 years to then realize the the success of our, <laughs> our effort. But that's great. It opened, it opened my eyes to a, a phrase that I, I, I like called geographic independence. The technology today mm-hmm. has enabled us to follow our purpose or passion from anywhere in the world and achieve our economic means in the in the process. That's possible today and it's happening more and more. And so the idea that, hey, you can live anywhere and still build a great service business is kind of awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's really, I mean, it's, it's only kind of practical or, or you know, yeah. realistic in the last, you know, five, 10 years with, you know, technology right. and connectivity and things like that. So, yeah. And, and it and certainly is revolutionizing a lot of the service industry because now, yeah, you're no mm-hmm. longer kind of geographically tied to talent and, and to clients, right? You can service everyone that you can get to with an internet connection and you can employ, you know, engage anyone that you can get to with an internet connection. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's yeah. a good new kind of business world that we live in. So talk yeah. to me about the acquisition process. So you mentioned you had to kiss a few frogs. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, you found someone who, you know, was this great fit based on what you wanted. I mean, I guess how much did you sit down and say, all right, here are our 15 criteria. Here's what the perfect situation looks like. And then you're just out there, you know, trying to fit, you know, shapes to, to the holes that you had created and figure out who could get the best fit. And how much was this kind of a discovery learning process for you? You know, as you got out there, kind of learn more, figured out more of what you want, iterative process. Tell us about how that played out. Mm-hmm. We're, we're, we're not that smart as to be calculated with those parameters up front. It's a, it certainly was an iterative process. We talked to one company that was very, very small, but we liked the owner. She happened to be in accounting, bookkeeping and accounting for a particular vertical. I think it was brew pubs. And we're like, oh, that could be interesting. But then we dug in a little bit more and said, oh, I don't think there's enough there there, there for, for this to, to happen. And, and we learned a little bit more in every conversation, like every conversation stands on the shoulders of the prior one. And it is only when you get out there and have the discussions that you can, in fact, crystallize what it is that's important to you. But what we really realized is that the thing that was most important to us, once we found a a profile of a business that would allow us to work on the business and not in the business, that's probably the killer distinction there, which is is this substantial enough so that we can be business owners and not business producers, not business operators? Because so many service businesses we know get capped by the limitation of the owner's ability to be the primary producer. We did not want to be in that situation. We're business builders. We're business owners. I am not trying to become the world's best bookkeeper as an individual. But once we determined that we had the right profile, 90% percent of the discussion was around shared values, shared principles. Can we work through conflict together? Can we speak openly and transparently? Can we operate with integrity? Can we work through the invariable ups and downs? Can we truly come together as partners? Because the owner of the business wanted to be on a growth trajectory with us. So we're like, okay, well, let's make sure we're going to be able to ride this as a unit, as a team, and not find out like most acquisitions happen down the road oh man, we miscalculated on the person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, then that, that one is hard to recover. I mean, you can recover from all, all other kind of strategic pivots you need to make, things like that. But if, if it comes down to, hey, you don't you don't have the right cultural fit, you don't have the right alignment around where you want to go and, and the rules that you want to use to get there, that's tough. I, I mean, I see a lot mm-hmm. of partnerships break down over those, those kind of issues. Mm-hmm. And talk to us about how you, I, I always talk about separating out kind of the partnership alignment 
versus business strategy and development. Do you have any you know ways in which you come together as owners, partners, and have those kind of discussions around you know what do we each want out of this? How are we doing? What's the you know changes in circumstances? Like how how do you kind of stay aligned on the same page, connected as partners above and beyond you know kind of operators of the business or or people that are owners of a business? Yeah, couple of things. First, we are not afraid to start a a conversation that includes the the owners and be clear what hat are we wearing right now in this conversation? Yeah. Are we wearing owner hats or are we wearing operator hats? Well, if we're wearing owner hats, we're going to have a slightly different way of how we look at the business versus operator hats, which is, hey, we're in the business. There are some real issues we're dealing with, et cetera. So being clear on that. The second is we established a set of 12 principles for how we behave with among ourselves, with our clients and with our employees. And those principles are widely shared and communicated throughout the organization and embraced and adopted. And those principles, which is keen a little bit off of Ray Dalio's book principles have been very foundational for us so that as conflict arises, which it's going to, can we address it in a way that anchors against how does this, how is this in alignment or out of alignment with our principles? And I think we've been able to quell a lot of emotional stress, right? Uh Of growth with more of a less emotional principles based type of discussion. And that's been really helpful for us. Yeah. Yeah, that's smart. Yeah, and, and it does, my kind of working philosophy is that you can't ignore the emotions, but you need to understand how they kind of hijack decision-making and, you know, you need, to, you need to kind of process them in such a way that gets you into a place where you can you, you can make good long-term decisions, um, you know, for, for the benefit of the the entire group. And that's, uh, I think it's great that you've got a, an actually prescribed, written down set of principles. We, we can talk about Ray Dalio's principles separately. <laughs> I'm, I'm, incur- I'm intrigued sure. by the fact that you've done that. I think it's a good move. In a service business where you have a lot of clients, the importance of separating fact from story is incredibly important. The direction that issues roll downhill in our business comes right to the doorstep of bookkeeping and accounting. Like it's amazing, right? Like (laughs) it's so easy, right? Blame the bookkeeper, blame Uh the accountant. Okay. Well, we, we have to acknowledge that much of the drama that gets created in a client service industry is there are stories that are getting manufactured, manifested in each of our brains, the client's brains and ours that may or may not be really based on the facts. The very few facts that exist are driving emotions, but unless we're able to what we call get and stay in sync, it's one of our principles, by the way, get and stay in sync and have Mm -hmm. a method of doing that with a client, we know we're just going to be in firefighting business all the time. We're trying to build the impossibly perfect machine. Again, another principle, not just a bunch of independent bookkeepers that are satisfying the unique needs of individual clients. That's not really a scalable foundation. And let's talk about what, I guess, as you've got involved in the business, how have things played out? What has been your areas of focus? I mean, uh, you know, typically I find that, you know, in order to get to sort of next level, you know, size or, you know, strategic position, you have to undo a few things in order to be able to to get there. What have you, as you got involved, what are the things you noticed that maybe needed to be undone, rethought, uh, restructured in order to achieve the goals that you wanted to uh, achieve with, the, with taking on the business? Step one was first do no harm. So for us to come in and completely rip out systems and process and say, oh, this business is, is 
is ugly. It's got all these problems. Like that's not <laughs> a lot super of warts. helpful. <laughs> they always have warts. A lot yeah. of warts, right? Yeah. So we, we set our initial objective around an acronym M as in Mary, V as in Victor, S as in Sam, MVS. MVS for us was the achievement of minimum viable scale. Minimum viable scale dictated that we wanted to grow the business enough, add enough clients over a six-month period that the monthly recurring revenue of that business was sufficient for the operators in their functional roles to be sufficiently compensated as well as having enough capital in the business to start making investments in software and systems that will help create a more flywheel effect mm-hmm. for the machine that we want to build. Without capital, right, you can't make the investments in the machine. So yeah. the, so our focus was, was minimal viable scale. The issue in our industry is not do clients accept that this is a problem that they want to solve? No, 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 no. Yeah. Everybody know everybody needs a bookkeeper accountant. Yeah. The problem is how do we get clear enough on what our value proposition is and who our customer segment is so that we can be efficient in how we go to market, which is still a bit of a journey for us quite candidly. Mm -hmm. So then we grew really quickly. We added a bunch of clients and it is at that moment, those moments when you see, truly see the warts, right? Things break, Mm -hmm. systems break. We saw all the vulnerability and the vulnerability is typically in service businesses, single point of failure. Oh no, I lost this individual. They left. What have they been doing? Is anything documented? Who's backing them up? And because the the business, no judgment, by the way, didn't have those systems in place, that durability, it's now has exposed a lot of the components that we knew we needed to tackle. But to some extent, you almost can't tackle them until you truly see them. Now we see them and our theme has moved from MVS to our theme over the next six months company-wide is stabilize. Stabilize is now, because we achieved MBS, so Mm -hmm. stabilize is now about putting the the systems and processes in place to take that next step function in growth. This is stair-step stuff. It's not linear growth. It's getting on new new slopes, new planes in a stair-step function, and we're in the stabilized phase. Yeah. Well, and I like that. I think that when we talk about this a lot in the growth process is that everyone kind of assumes growth is this kind of you know, geometric linear, you know, plan. It's like, you know, there's each, each step is very smooth and incremental. And it's this kind of ramp that I'm, that I'm walking up. And in fact, it's much more of this stair step model that you mentioned, you know, mainly because there are, particularly with services, there are just stable levels, right? Like the company works very well at 15 people, then at 30, then at 50, then at a hundred. And it has to do with, you know, how productive people are, levels of management, resource allocation, and oftentimes I find, you know, what happens is companies kind of get stuck in an in-between state. And oftentimes these in-between states are actually not very profitable or painful or difficult to manage. And, and without kind of really thinking through what is my next stable version configuration of the company, you know, I will keep kind of trying to grow and then scaling back and trying to grow and scaling back just I, it becomes painful. And, and I think it's smart that, that you've kind of identify this step function and then moving through those intermediate states as quickly as possible is really important, right? I, I need to, you know, not stay there because I'm going to be losing money. I'm going to be in pain and the quicker I can get to this next level and this kind of stabilization step. Like once I get there, I need to stabilize. I need to make things super efficient. I need to hoard cash, right? There's all sorts of things you can do in these mm-hmm. in-between states to then build up your ability to sprint to the next level. So it's, it's really, it's mm-hmm. fascinating that you've identified that. And I think a lot of companies don't see that. And I, particularly with services, just because you're dealing with people and organizational structure and 
And, you know, I think it, it is, it's a little easier in, you know, product and tech companies to be much more kind of a smooth slope ramp of growth. But, you know, services, it just doesn't, it doesn't work that way. Well said. All right. So, uh, you know, one of the things I notice is as, you know, companies are kind of looking at strategy, they start learning more about who their best customers are, how they're going to, which products and services they should focus on. Tell us about some of the changes or realizations or things you've kind of had to evolve and shift as, as you've kind of grown the business and look at where you should really focus on strategy. Yeah. So really three areas. The, the first is how we distribute work among a, a distributed team. So we believe that in order to scale our service business, to do it profitably and increase quality as we grow, we need to break apart the functions of a bookkeeper activity and determine what can be done in a less sophisticated or lower cost environment and yeah. reserve the higher value activities to the higher value people. So we've stood up a team in the Philippines. They are employees. They're part of our culture. They're taking on a lot of work right now. But the, the effort for us as owners is how do we create enough transparency through our systems so yeah. that we know who's doing what, where does it stand, and how does it get reassembled back for the client? So that's that's a big, big, big yeah. part of our growth strategy, number one. Number two is standardizing the way that we manage our client relationships. And so we've implemented something called shared agreements. The shared agreement is a dynamic document that we happen to build in Google Slides, but you could do it anywhere, uh -huh. where we are documenting visually how the processes are going to work, that which we own, and client that which you own. So when things arise and you get upset about something because you sent this email two months ago and somebody didn't get and they're confused. We just go back to the shared agreement and say, what did we say was the process we agreed to put in place? Where did it break down? How do we need to fix it and keep moving forward? We have a relationship that we're managing. We're a monthly recurring revenue business. Yeah. Things are going to break. So we have to have a mechanism to fix them, improve them, and continue accelerating as partners. So that's, a, that's another big one of strategy for us. And the third, and you nailed it, which is customer segment, customer segment, customer segment. Yeah. And to be honest with you, we still serve, we have about 120 clients today, we still serve a wide variety of professional service businesses as well as technology businesses. And I'm not quite at the point of saying, oh, we are the virtual back office bookkeeping and accounting firm for marketing agencies. Yeah. Sure, we have about 10 marketing agencies we serve, but I don't think we've, we're quite there yet, but mm -hmm. we really do want to get there because that will dramatically improve efficiency for us. Yeah, no, just it, the more narrow that's defined, obviously, the easier that the more specific you can make your processes, yeah. the better you can train your folks, uh, yeah. you know, easier is to hire, easier it is to sell. But yeah, I get it. It's it's a hard one, you know, and I think most companies struggle with that. You know, they kind of come out of the gate selling everything to anyone. <laughs> they slowly figure out, <laughs> oh, okay, that's not so totally. scalable. Like it's going to be tough to build a business around this. But And so yeah. tell me a little bit. So I'm curious about the tech side because, you know, a lot of this, you know, a lot of the kind of you know, distributed teams and, and remote workers and things like that, you know, requires this you know, technical infrastructure underpinnings. I mean, you mentioned Google Slides, but what are some other technologies that you've kind of discovered, built? I mean, how, how do you go about this kind of buy versus build process that has enabled you to actually make this possible given, you know, given the nature of work these days? One word, it's Asana, A-S-A-N-A. <laughs> yep. So Asana for us has been one of the most revolutionary 
work management applications um, that we've ever seen. In fact, Asana, who wrote a case study on Stride, it's on their site, said, your implementation of Asana is one of the most sophisticated we have ever seen. So here's what that means. All of our objectives are in Asana, all of our business sprints, who's doing what, what their priorities are for the month, how we're tracking it. We onboard and offboard employees in Asana. We run all of our meetings in Asana. We expose clients to the work plan in Mm -hmm. Asana. In a distributed team, that level of connection and effectiveness for communication has been incredible for us. So that's more about how we conduct ourselves in a communication framework as it relates to what are the systems that we deploy in service to the client's accounting and bookkeeping needs. Here's the thing. We're not a technology company. There are great cloud applications out there. QuickBooks Online, Build.com, Expensify, T-Sheets. We're pretty good at stitching those together in a 100% paperless vehicle, but we're not trying to lock clients in to create some crazy switching costs because we've built some proprietary technology. That is not where we're going to add value. We add value in systems and process and people, not in the tech. We don't want to be a tech company. We want to use it. We don't want to be it. Yeah, no, it's smart. And tell me about kind of future plans at this point. So you, you've, you're in the kind of stabilization phase, but what do you see in terms of you know, objectives, where you want to be in a couple of years? What goals have you been setting and, and what kind of drives your, your kind of uh, your operational motivation uh, for the business? Yeah, we have a lot of headroom between where we sit today and where we, what we think we can achieve specifically in virtual back office, bookkeeping and accounting. We believe that headroom so much that recently we decided to stop doing one type of service. We were providing some HR services Mm. and step back and said, hold on a second. A, that's not in our genius zone right now. Two, that's a very different business, even though it feels pretty complimentary. And three, let's play the game that we're in right now, which is focus, focus, focus on the one thing that we really want to be the best in the world at. So there is really maniacal focus on virtual back office bookkeeping and accounting. But what we're really building here is a machine of how a service business can grow and scale. And so our energy longer term is thinking about, okay, how can we take this model of how we've approached this business and now can we apply it? Can we get back into the HR game, right? And and take a similar discipline and rigor. Can we get into IT services or marketing services? Are there other ancillary areas of virtual back office process that we could either add uh, organically or add through acquisition to build a more, I call it like a single throat to choke for a client. (laughs) So we become a more comprehensive service provider for them over time. Yeah. Well, and I like that idea of kind of picking one area to kind of, you know, excel at or dominate, you know, really figure out how to get it, uh, you know, working very, very well, well well-oiled machine. And then how you can, then how you can go into these other areas and apply what you've learned and the underlying philosophy and tools and technology. So that's great. Uh, Russell, then it was a pleasure. Uh, if people want to find out more about you, about Stride, what's the best way to get that information? Oh, best way to get the information is to just email me directly at russell2s2ls.benaroya, B-E-N-A-R-O-Y-A, at stride.services. Um, or they can call me. Can I get my number on this? Sure, go ahead. President. Yeah. 206-779-1359. Happy to connect and go to the website, which is www.stride.services, 
which is very important because Stride's a pretty common name. So it's stride.services. <laughs> I will make sure that the links and everything that you mentioned there are in cool. the show notes so people can get, get that and connect with you. Thank you so much for taking the time. It was a great conversation. I love the story. I love the strategy. I love what you're doing. I'm, I'm curious to keep in touch and hear how things play out. And I appreciate the time today. Thanks for doing this, Bruce. Really appreciate the opportunity. Have a great day. You've been listening to Scaling Up Services with business coach Bruce Eckfeldt. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at scalingupservices.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at scalingupservices.com slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.